Sitting here ready to go. Waiting on me. Mm-hmm. Waiting on Slowpoke over here. All right. Can we hear this new crazy thing? What's that? It's probably not new. It's probably just that I'm realizing it. Oh, I was just talking to you. Yeah, but I like when you're talking. To... Then I have to go <laughs> back and like jack up all your levels and make it sound like you're talking in the microphone. Well, I, I wasn't trying to talk for the podcast. Yeah, yeah that doesn't matter. <laughs> I just saw something crazy on Facebook. This is pre-podcast. Right, what was it you saw that was crazy on po- on Facebook? <laughs> well, now it's built up. Oh, well, you know, I mean. <laughs> okay, it's a curling iron. Okay. It doesn't have the clampy thing to hold your hair next to the curling iron. What's the point of that? Right? That's what I asked myself. Instead, it has like a heat-proof glove that you're supposed to hold your... Okay, right? It's it's a curler with an of glove? With an of glove. Oh, my Lord. And I see there's this gorgeous, you know, perfectly coiffed lady, and the tag is like, quick updo on days when you're running out of time, and she's got this whole elaborate, like, glove. (laughs) And I'm like, lady... You don't know what it's like to not have a Right? Time. Yeah, exactly. First, I preheat my sauna room. I'm like, is my mascara from three days ago still on? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> We're just operating under good a different set of life circumstances is all. <laughs> hey, not, not, I'm not judging anyone. If you have your uh, your of glove, you have time to of to glove your hair. God bless you. Right. It's great. I'll glove it for me too. It Listen, just made me think of like safe hands. Ah, uh, there you go. Right there you go. Ladies, do you not have a lot of time to curl your hair, start a fire, bury a heavy rock under the coals, <laughs> take it out, lay your hair on a rock, lay the he- heated rock on top of that rock? <laughs> Who's got time? <laughs> Who indeed? <laughs> take a stick char it in a fire wrap your hair around it you joke but that is what they used to do <laughs> I I know I have no idea by the way <laughs> no idea welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast welcome back welcome to episode 87 in this podcast episode we will be covering words of radiance chapters 49 through 53. That's right. And our next book club will be going over chapters 54 through 58. You know it. This will be the end of part three. Oh, yeah. We get to an exciting conclusion. Mm-hmm. That's good. That means I can I can read with enthusiasm and vigor. It's a good one. Next week is a good one. Violently. Violently flipping the pages in my Kindle. <laughs> Double tap. (laughs) Again, I say, double tap. (laughs) My name is Chad. I'm Liz. You want to lay our spoiler policy out there? Our spoiler policy is 
that Liz has read these books, read everything in the Cosmere universe. I have read nothing in the Cosmere universe other than The Way of Kings and up through these chapters in Words of Radiance. So we will not spoil anything past chapter 53 in Words of Radiance. We will also try as best we can to remain spoiler-free on any Cosmere-related topics, at least as it relates to any plot points. We may talk about characters that show up across series, but we're not going to spoil anything in Mistborn. Is that fair to say? I would say that's fair to say. Does that capture the essence of it? It does. It does indeed. I am glad to hear it. So chapter 49 is called Watching the World Transform. Shalan and Adolin's long-awaited date arrives. It goes well, much to their mutual surprise. Adolin opens up about what's been going on in the war camp, among other things, and Shalan fills him in on Yasna's research. Hormones and high storms rage, pushing the two closer to their almost halfway kind of maybe engagement. Shalan leaves with plans to see Adolin soon and possibly break into High Lord Amram's mansion. What are you going to do? It's Saturday night. A little gonna, light breaking and entering. Going to crash your storm warden, storm predicting party. <laughs> Sunday say I'm sorry. But when time comes around, she'll crash it all again. Okay, it's a song I don't recognize, <laughs> but I'm getting that it's song lyrics. Listen, we're only having fun. <laughs> Not hurting anyone. And we'd all enjoy the weekend for a change. Are you, wait a minute, you're, you're drinking from two different Capri Suns? This is my empty Capri Sun that I keep so I can slurp loudly when you're carrying on. <laughs> Wait, you have Foley props over there? <laughs> just just so that in audio terms, you can roll your eyes at me? How else am I going to do it, Chad? How else do I show disapproval? <laughs> That's your version of Kermit the Frog sipping iced tea? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I respect that. You know what? That is very... <laughs> Very professional. (laughs) So this chapter has one of my favorite scenes. Adolin and Shallan talking about Adolin pooping in a shard plate. Okay, so what do you do if you're on a plateau run and you need to poop? Well, they call it shard plate. But when I'm on the runs... They call it shart plate. (laughs) (sighs) Good one. That's the kind of quality entertainment. (laughs) (laughs) Jokes at the most obvious level. That's what that's what I mean, if we didn't make it, people would be disappointed. Right. They'd be wondering what was wrong with us. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, Shalon and Adolin sit down, and what I love the most about this scene is how at the beginning of the conversation, they both seem to be falling into this, like, 
sort of well-rehearsed pattern, at least in, on Adolin's part. Yeah. You know, he's telling the same story. He always tells on first dates. Shallan kind of can tell when her cues are, when she's supposed to ask different questions. And then somewhere along the line, she just completely flips it over on him <laughs> and uh, and asks him, so when you're wearing this armor, how do you poop? And he's like, blah, blah, no one's ever asked me that before. But usually I just poop in the armor if I have to. We call it taking an Adolin. <laughs> We've turned it into a into a, a verb around here. You've Adolin the hell out of that situation. <laughs> you really Adolin that one up. So listen, in your adult life, have you ever had to take the Adolin? I, I mean, there. I, I can't say that I remember any times that I have had to take the Adolin, but I drank a lot, so <laughs> there are big chunks I don't remember, let's just say. In the late 90s, I'd say nothing's off the table, behavior-wise for, for me. For a period of years, yeah. <laughs> Okay, all right. Moving along. You? I have no comment. <laughs> there may have been one or two times I was in heavy traffic and I had to take the eight. Oh, see, you, you drive in heavy traffic. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Lean up over the chasm's edge and... You're stuck on 495, you know? <laughs> so one of the things I noticed was... Adolin's behavior around like checking out other women when Shalon was obviously paying attention. Mm -hmm. This lady walks past and he's there scoping out her behind. I thought, you know, is he being a real Chad or is he just checking to see if she pooped her pants? <laughs> it may not be as nefarious as we think it is. It may not. No, honestly, I think that part was to show the difference uh, between the beginning of the conversation versus the end of the conversation. And the next time that that same server comes over, he doesn't even look twice at her because he's, he's now, Shalon's got him on the hook by that point. She made him laugh and kind of flipped the script on him. And all of a sudden he's, he's not looking at anyone else. But maybe he was also just being kind of a Chad. Yeah, it could be that too couple of other notes I have in here. I had forgotten that Shalon had called herself Sabariel. Sabariel, I can't, I don't know how to pronounce Sabario, it. Sabariel, yeah. I had forgotten that she had identified herself as Sabariel's niece. Right. Just something I had forgotten about. So when he was like, it's a good thing you're related, I was like, what? And then I remembered. But that's that can't help but come back to bite her at some point. I mean... As long as Sabariel is willing to go along with it. So what do we think about the the Alethi possibly hunting the Chasm Fiends into extinction? I that was, was kind of interesting. I thought it was clever of her to bring it up and, and remark upon it. I'm a little surprised that it's not anything that had crossed my mind at any point. Of course, that's been my whole reading experience for the last couple of weeks as I read things and I go, damn it, why did I never think of that? Mm -hmm. Well, there's so much going on in these books. Yeah, and it's such an alien world that mm -hmm. it's hard to kind of put yourself into that perspective. 
I think it's so clever and subtle the way that Shalon knows what she needs, knows where she needs to get and is able to. So she knows she needs to get out into the shattered planes. She's not really worried about chasm fiends becoming extinct. I mean, not saying that she's not worried about it but it's way down the list of priorities but this is something that could be relatable to Adolin that would be an excuse for her to get out there onto the planes and figure out what's going on so I thought that was really cool and I thought it was interesting the way that Adolin opens up to Shallan and tells her everything he does just basically turn around and word vomits all his stuff Shallan is a lot more measured like she tells him some stuff but you know when he reacts poorly about uh, the, the Parshman idea she's like okay bring it down bring yeah. it down <laughs> <laughs> bring it in Shallan so and and she doesn't know and obviously all of her stuff about being a surge binder she doesn't tell him any of that even though she knows she's not the only surge binder out there you know it's a little different with Kaladin he, as far as he knows, he's the only person yeah. mm-hmm. that this has happened to. She knows that Adolin's relative was a surge binder. She still isn't telling him stuff, that kind of stuff. No, yeah. So I thought that was interesting, an interesting dynamic. The other thing I thought was interesting is she says, the more people spoke of her, the better chance she had of persuading them when the time came to listen to her regarding the parchment. She's talking about how everybody can recognize her because she looks so different than everybody else. And everywhere she goes, they know her by name. She doesn't have to introduce herself. But my take on that is that she is wrong, wrong, dead wrong. Yeah. The more you remind people that you're different, the more likely they are to dismiss you when you actually ask them to do something difficult. Hmm interesting i wonder if there's been a study about that don't know that's a good question but the more you demonstrate that you're an outsider when it comes times of difficulty and you ask somebody to do something they don't want to do or that's going to be a sacrifice for them Mm -hmm. the more they're just going to look at you as somebody who's an outsider who doesn't understand that doesn't make them more likely to listen to what you say it makes them less likely to look at what to listen to what you have to say Sorry, you got me in research mode. To be continued, we'll get back to that. That's a very interesting concept. And there's been a lot there's been a lot of research done into in-group versus out-group psychology. I would be interested to learn more about that. It's interesting to me that this is the first time as well that I've caught the similarities between this book and Dune. Hmm. Because you have the chasm fiends being responsible for creating these elements that power all the magic and all the different things in the universe, just like you have in Dune with the great worms. And now you have Shallan coming in and saying, well, why don't you just grow juvenile chasm fiends and Mm -hmm. create your own supply similar to what the Fremen did with capturing juvenile worms and mm-hmm. turning them and, you know, using them as well. So not to mention that it's this sort of arid desert planet. Mm-hmm. You have this group of, of nomadic people who are misunderstood by everybody else. It, it's so there are just some similarities that pop out 
to me here, you know, and he who controls the gem hearts controls the universe. It's so interesting because Dune is just so iconic that you just see it in in so many of the the most important works of fantasy and, and science fiction. Yeah, absolutely. And but you don't even realize it. How many people haven't even read that book? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But read other books and are like, oh yeah, this is just like that. It reminds me of my experience when I was older and I got into like Jimi Hendrix mm-hmm. or people kept talking about Jimi Hendrix. Well, by the time I had heard Jimi Hendrix playing guitar, I had heard everybody who had copied Jimi Hendrix playing guitar. Mm-hmm. So by the time I heard Jimi Hendrix playing guitar, it didn't sound all that unique or different. Right. Because I had heard everybody else who was a, who was copying what he had done. Right. Not realizing that's where they had gotten it from. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Anyway. Complete Well, tangent. we are off the rails. She also mentions the great shells of Meribethia. Mm-hmm. Which you can get there, but you'd have to take a bridge. Uh, it's a far way to go. That is a long, long, long way to go. <laughs> Chapter 50 is called Uncut Gems. Adolin runs into Sadius in the High Storm Bunker. He manages not to kill the smug, backstabbing twat, just barely, though. When he gets back to the Colleen quarters, he finds that another cryptic warning has been scrawled on the walls. The evidence seems to point to Dalinar as the culprit, but he still doesn't remember anything that happens during the High Storms. The warning tells them to seek the center, but they have no idea what that means. Man, that Sadius is one slimy son of a bitch. He really is. Man, he is a slimy son of a bitch. Hi, remember me? I tried to kill you. How do you like my jacket? (laughs) What the hell, man? Right? It's, it's ridiculous. And then he says, uh, what's the latest on the fashion from Leofor? Which is what he was just reading in the previous chapter. Mm-hmm. He was reading about fashions from Leofor. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It seems to me like a hint or a reminder that Sadius is watching everything he does. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm taking that too far, if I'm reading too much into it but it just seems like a hint to me. Yeah, I don't think, I think that every part of that conversation was very well planned out. And we see a little bit later on in this conversation how how much forethought goes into everything that he says and does. You know, because we remember a few chapters ago when he was talking to Iale about the high prince of information and they craft this whole plan like okay we're going to do this and then when Dalinar does that then you're going to give up your post and this is the conversation where we find out that he did that so he's just always planning three steps ahead planting little seeds everywhere and he tells Adolin that Sadius is such an interesting character because he he's absolutely an evil prick absolutely but he also does not have any problems with the way he is. And he has like genuine emotions about things though. 
it's not like a, a lot of times people, he's not a sociopath yeah people will write evil pricks as just like having no feelings or like only like glorying in destruction but you know there's one part where sadius is talking about how you know, this kingdom is ruled by two idiots, and each one is, in a way, a shadow of a man I loved. Talking about Dalinar being a shadow of himself, and then Elokar being a shadow of his father. And it's just like, wow, that kind of gets you in the feels a little bit. Like, you know, he's, I don't know, it just adds a layer to the character, and I really like that. Yeah, I mean, Hitler was a painter. Exactly. Exactly. What's the deal with the uncut emeralds? That wasn't for nothing. Well, the emeralds, I think, were in Adolin's face because they were just acquired from a uh, illegal plateau run that he did. Well, that, okay, that was what my question was because, I mean, I, I, that's what I thought he was trying to do was to mm-hmm. rub it in his face that, look. Yeah. However, the problem I had with that and the reason why I didn't think that was the case is because it's never been clearly identified that gem hearts were actually like emeralds or enormous rubies. Yeah. Or... Yes, they are. Oh, okay. All right. I did not know that. Well, then, okay. That's interesting. Are they all emeralds or? No. But different stones. So the gem hearts are valuable because they can be used in soul casting. Yeah, so that I emerald, understand. Yeah. So emeralds are the most valuable because they can be used to create food mm. by soul casters. Okay, so that was him rubbing it in his face. Look at yeah, look at this stuff that I illegally acquired. Okay, yeah, and I'm wearing it as buttons. You know, God, man, that's a prick move, right? All right, then we move into the whole situation with Dalinar and. We don't really get into the details of it too much in this chapter, but we do get, well, no, actually we do get into the details. I'm sorry. Uh, We find out that it's Dalinar who's the one who's making those ominous warnings on the walls. But I felt like we already knew this. Well, it certainly has been speculated. Okay, because I was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I had always thought. Right. Okay, all right. So Adolin then comes back. One thing I thought was interesting was a a closer description of Adolin's blade because he's kind of summoning it, dismissing it, just like a nervous habit. But it describes his blade as a white fog that manifests as little vines sprouting in the air and then snaps into a blade. It's a little different than we've ever heard described before yeah we haven't gotten that level of description yeah, it's unclear as to whether it just we just it just hasn't been described that carefully before or is adolin's blade a little bit different or are they all a little bit different i just thought that was interesting it almost sounds spren like in the way that spren kind of emerge sometimes as little mm-hmm. sparks or vines or yeah so it almost has a little bit of that vibe to yeah. it whether it means anything or not, I do not know. Yeah, put a pin in it. I mean, this pin cushion is getting <laughs> really full. It really is. Running out of pins. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. So Adolin's worried about the fact that Dalinar is now possibly predicting the future or whoever. He's worried that Dalinar is predicting the future because, again, there's that taboo against 
anything that has to do with predicting the future. It's foretelling because that is a thing of the void bringers. I wasn't sure if it was that he was worried because he was worried specifically that he was doing it or if it was because he was worried that people would find out. I mean, I think for him, it's A, the fact that Dalinar is doing something that's kind of out of control. But again, there we see that cultural fear of any kind of fortune telling. And also interesting to note that the date that the countdown is coming to is like right in the middle of the weeping, which is the end of their year. Yeah. So there aren't any high storms around, like being predicted around that at all. So, I mean, if fortune telling is that big of a deal, then I'm beginning to think that the big bad for this entire series might be Miss Cleo. <laughs> and these Alethi will not be calling her now for their free reading. Did you ever call a psychic on the phone? No. No. No, uh, I did at a party one time when I was in the Army. Uh, I, did, I didn't call it. Somebody else called a sex line one time. And then the, I don't know why they ended up putting me on the phone. I know why. I was the person who seemed to always end up being the one making the crank calls. So was I. <laughs> well, I know that because we did them together a lot, but... <laughs> That was back before caller ID, kids. Exactly. <laughs> when you could get away with Now we just have to have a podcast. <laughs> Years of pent-up frustration <laughs> from not being able to make crank calls <laughs> eventually led to 87 episodes of this podcast. But no, I never called. I never called a, a psychic. Did you? Not that I remember, but again, big chunks of the late 90s. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> All right, chapter 51 is called Heirs. The day for the big meeting with the Parshendi Shardbearer arrives. Adolin insists on going in Dalinar's place. He meets Ashonai, but it is too late for a peace talk. She tells Adolin that the Parshendi have changed the rules of the conflict and that if the Alethi want peace, they will have to destroy her people. Knowing this, Dalinar makes a plan to take the fight to the Parshendi and end the war once and for all. So that's kind of a bummer. This chapter was a little frustrating mm -hmm. because it just sort of seemed like we were building this up. We had this thing with Esh and I, and it was all going to come to something. And then they walk out, they meet, and she's like, you guys suck, and turns around and walks back. You know, like, <laughs> like what the hell, man? Well, I think this chapter is important in a, in a number of ways. And one is just to highlight Esh and I's complete transformation. Yeah. You know, she was, has, the entire series has been desperately looking for Dalinar so that she can ask him for peace, because that is the only way that she saw out of this. And now, though, after bonding with this new Spren, she's a completely different person and shows up just to basically say, fuck you to these guys. Fuck you guys. You know? Yeah. Seems like a tactical failure, though. How so? That. Well, I mean, I'm assuming she's just coming at it from a place of supreme confidence. But the reason why I call it a tactical failure is because it supplies Dalinar with exactly what he does, a definitive answer as to whether they can or cannot sue for peace. Now they know there's no point in attempting to negotiate, and therefore he makes this decision to make this attack. Whereas if 
they just kept it ambiguous, then the Alethi would have been perpetuating this place of indecision, which would have led to a tactical advantage for them. Now, I suspect Eshenai just doesn't care. Yeah. She thinks the rules have changed so dramatically that it won't, that nothing they can do will matter. I suspect that's why. But it just seems like a silly thing for them to even hold up and decide, hold up their end of the bargain and decide to meet after they've discovered Stormform. It's not that big of a deal, but just a little bit frustrating. I suspect it's meant to be that way. Also, I think it gives us some information about Gavilar. Yes, and we'll get to that in a second. But I just, I want to go back to Eshenai again, because if you think about, and if you go back to the previous chapters with her, and the difference before and after she bonded the the storm spread, you know, when the Parshendi are talking, they're talking to the rhythm of this or the rhythm of that. After she bonds that spren, she only talks to rhythms of negative emotions, spite, mm-hmm. um, jealousy. I, I don't know the specific ones right now. But, you know, before she would talk to all these different ones, all these different kinds of emotions. And when she comes back, it's like pride, it's jealousy. So these are the things that are ruling her. So for her to go and just meet with her greatest enemy and just to like tell him that he's going to have to destroy her or that she's going to kill him, that would be probably in keeping with this new frame of mind that she has, that she's trapped in. That's a good point. I appreciate that perspective. It is not something I had considered. I also thought it was interesting, we had this whole big conversation about where Adolin says, Dalinar... You're not going. It's too dangerous. It doesn't make any sense. I'm mm-hmm. going to go and pretend to be you. And he has to borrow Renarin's helmet. Now, is that because Adolin's, or I'm sorry, Dalinar's helmet got destroyed? I think it might be. Okay, I was because I was a little confused as to why that was. But I really enjoyed that part because we see a lot of growth in Adolin there compared to the conflicts that he used to have with his father. And in this one, he is able to challenge him, but in a way that's still very respectful. And Dalinar actually listens to him, you know, and especially when he says to him, deny, deny it, deny that you are more important than anyone in this room. Like, it, maybe it's not the way that it should be, but you are the glue that's holding this entire country together. So, yeah, and I don't think you can fault his logic there, but it's interesting that neither Dalinar or Kaladin go both of whom have spent the most time looking at Eshenai. Now, Adolin's seen Eshenai as well, so I don't know, maybe there's not a difference, but it, it was interesting to me that they don't recognize that there's a physical change, but it seems like during all the forms, they take physically different shapes. And even though she would be in shard plate, shard plate changes with the person's body. I feel like if Kaladin and Dalinar were there, they would say, hey, wait a minute, she looks different. I don't know that her changes, at least between war form and storm form, would show up in shard plate. Yeah, I don't either. It's really like her hair and her eye color. But I don't think that she would look physically different in the shard plate. You're probably right. I'm, I'm probably overthinking it. 
It happens. So can we talk about what she says about Gavilar? Yes, let's talk about that. Okay. So Adolin asks, why did you betray us? Like, why did you sign a treaty and then kill Gavilar? And she's like, ah, that idiot told me he wanted to bring back our gods. And then she's like, later, suckas. And she just turns and walks. (laughs) Gavilar's plan appeared to be that he was going to restore the Parshendi gods in some way. So was it him trying to recreate the Nihil Bond? Or did the Parshendi just fear that by recreating the Knights Radiant, it would reopen that door? Mm Mm-hmm. That would allow the the negative spren, the whatever the Parshendi evil spren are, to come through. Mm-hmm. That seems likely to be what was going on there. Mm-hmm. You're looking at me in such a way that tells me I may not have any idea what I'm talking about. Uh, no, I I am not looking at you that way. I'm looking at you like I can't give anything away as to whether you're right or not. Hmm. Practicing your poker face. I like it. It's getting pretty good. It's not It's not bad. It's not bad. The only other note I have in this chapter is that Dalinar seems quite positive that he's going to get all these high princes that are all going to go with him and they're all going to go in this massive campaign to attack the Parshendi. And I don't know where this optimism is coming from. It's so true. Right? right okay. Like, why would he think... At this time, when all the high princes have renounced all of their positions and they're openly defying his orders, that he's going to be able to turn around and be like, tally-ho, cavalry, mount up, we're all charging, and he's not going to walk right back into another situation like how the last book ended. What what else is he going to do? I don't know that he... I don't know how many alternatives he has. He's not playing the political game right at all. But what I'm more frustrated at is that he seems to be overestimating the control that he has. You you may be right. Um, I think that... From his perspective, what he's saying is, I'm going to go. And whoever I can get to go with me, I'm, we're just going to go. I'm bringing my whole army. This is, this is our only choice at this point. We have to, obviously the Parshendi are doing something. We've got this weird countdown on the wall. We need to get out there before this. You know, I think if it wasn't for the countdown, I don't know that he'd be doing that. But No, I don't. I don't either. But he, he's just done a really piss-poor job of being a leader that is needed for this situation. Yeah, I think that's definitely Dalinar's weakness. Like, he doesn't know how to play the political game. No, and he says as much. So it's, so it's not like he's deluding himself into thinking he's good at it. Right. He's not. He's also not choosing the right kind of people to ally with who can help him in that regard. Like? I don't know, like any of the high princes who actually are savvy enough. You know, my perception is that when they made Gavilar king, it was Sadius, Dalinar, Gavilar were kind of a trio, Mm -hmm. and Sadius was kind of that side of it. 
It makes sense. But it's shocking to me that understanding that he's always going to be at some kind of a disadvantage politically up against Sadius, but he doesn't have anybody that he has influence on who isn't more savvy than him, who can help him navigate that situation and try to counter Sadius's moves. Like, he's just doing a really, just not really doing a good job of recognizing where, he recognizes where his weakness is, but he's not doing anything to get better at it. And this is a situation where logic and urgency and pleading and all the thing, all the the literal writing on the wall is completely irrelevant to the Alethi. All that matters is what you can do politically or militarily. And he's weak in both of those areas. He's going to get his ass kicked. Unless he's doing something that I'm just not aware of and that they're just not showing us behind the scenes. No, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. He's been trying for two books now to bring other the other high princes around, and the situation's just gotten worse and worse. Yeah. but I mean, yeah, he's... Yeah, you're right. It's just gotten worse and worse. And there's no reason to keep harping on it. It's a shitty situation for Dalinar. Chapter 52 is called Into the Sky. Shallan breaks into Amaram's house. Her mastery of light weaving is growing. She even manages to impersonate Amaram's favorite maid well enough to fool him and get into his room of secrets. The room is full of maps, as well as some evidence that Amaram is actively trying to bring back the Voidbringers. Yikes. In the course of her escape, Shallan gets a look at Amaram's shard blade and is shocked to find out that it is the same one carried by her brother Hilarin. Meanwhile, Kaladin is learning to fly. He finally gets surge binding working for him, but he's still not willing to let go of his hatred of Amaram. When he gets back to his room, Shen is waiting. He tells Kaladin that his name is Relaine and that he has to leave. Kaladin has no idea what that's about, but I think the rest of us have a pretty good idea. So this is a big chapter plot-wise. Yeah, this is probably the meat of the of the section that we read. I like the back and forth between Shallan and Kaladin mastering their powers. Yeah, I, I did think it was interesting, however, that like until the end of the chapter, we keep having this situation where like Shallan, I feel like keeps doing something and learning something and like really advancing her plot. And then on the other hand, we flash back to Dalinar and he's just going, <laughs> like running on walls. Oh, he's not. He's, he's Kaladin, yeah. Or Kaladin, yeah. We flash back in Kaladin saying, Yay, I can run on walls. And Shallan's over here, like creeping into Amaram and learning more and back to Dalinar. And he's like, I can fly. But there's not, he's not really doing anything. We get to the end of the chapter and it, that changes a little bit. You know, what I had to do. Um, was read all the Shallan bits together and then read the Kaladin bits together. Because if you read all of Kaladin's sections together, you realize that what he's doing, and let's so let's do Kaladin first. He's trying to master the skill of lashing, being able to run on the walls, but because he every time he tries, he falls over, basically. And he realizes that he has to what he's fighting against is his own fear. 
So he lets go of this fear he has of falling. And that's when it kind of clicks for him. So it, it is pretty minor compared to Shamar- um, Shalon, you know, being able to turn into, I almost said Shamaram. I know, you just said Shamaram, and I'm like, whoa. It really actually works because Shalon becomes the Shamaram. Shamaram section. <laughs> that's like a Sham Wow Boomerang <laughs> 80s metal tune all jammed into one. There's so much there. And that Shamaram, we don't even have time to unpack it all. I love it. Shamaram. That's the best thing. That's way better than Brandor. (laughs) Shamaram. Wow. Do you have pencil stains on the sleeve of your shirt? Now you can get them out with Shamaram. Have you spilled Capri Sun on your favorite blouse? I forget what I'm saying. (laughs) So, Shalon, you're saying it seemed not as important, relevant to what Shalon was doing. Relevant to what Shalon was doing, yes. But if you read all of his together, you realize what he's doing. Uh, He lets go of his fear, but he's still holding on to his anger. Towards Amaram, Shamaram, um, and Sil's like, what up, dude? Uh, we also find out that um, Sil tells Kaladin a little more definitively that Seth's powers come from his blade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And th- they talk a little bit about shard blades because uh, Kaladin says, hey, you know, I I know they're evil. I don't like them. What, how am I going to fight this guy without one, though? She asks, he asks her whether new shard blades can be forged that aren't like a reminder of the Radiance breaking their O's. And she says yes, but she won't tell him how. So there's that going on. And then she's like, whoa, this kitchen's messy. And he says, Shamaram. Are there any other two names that would go together that well? I'm sorry. <laughs> like, It's hard for me to get it out of my mind. It really is. The other thing I noticed is that Kaladin calls him by name. He says Seth, Seth that is, Seth called this a lashing. When did he learn his name? That is a very good question. Like I know they had a brief little like meeting when Seth went all, you know, intra introspective. My life is a lie. I'm going to go listen to The Cure now. Like, I I get that they had a little brief interaction, but I don't remember him saying, my name is Seth, and what I did was lash you. Hang on. So I'm back here. I'm looking at chapter 33 in Words of Radiance. He does tell his name. He says, uh, he he's talking to himself. He says, they told me I was a liar. They told me I was wrong. Seth, son, son, Valano, truthless. They named me truthless. Okay. So there's that. I'm going to stand around and talk you about live myself. Live another day before my Continuity enemies. editors. <laughs> I guess we won't behead you with a shard blade this time. <laughs> so talk a minute about Relaine. Audiobook yeah. listeners chime in. Am I saying that right? Relaine. I don't know. Sounds how like some weird it. southern chick's name. Relaine. Relaine. She like, owns a beauty parlor. Like Rayanne Graff, Rayanne, Relaine, 
Anyway. Anyway, so Relaine uh, is Shen, and he's like, hey, dummy, after all this time, my name's not Shen. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, yeah. And Kaladin's like, oh, okay, apparently you can talk, whatever. Yeah. A- and doesn't really think anything of it, but uh, he gives Kaladin his spear back and tells him, you know, you're a good man, and I've learned much. And uh, and then he tells it, he's as he's leaving, he says, the winds are not what I fear. Well, I tried to, like, he says, my name is Relaine, and I'm like, okay, why do we need to know that? So I tried to go back and see if maybe his name was mentioned before in any of the other books, and it's not, or any of the previous chapters. It's not. He seemed relatively eloquent there at the end, saying, oh, hey, by the way, you know, thanks, you've been great, but I have to go. It makes me wonder, was he... Not in slave form, but rather in that other, like, was he being deceptive and being sent there specifically to be a spy? I think you're meant to wonder that. He did say, I have learned much. (laughs) That's what all spies say. And And then he twisted his mustache. And they're leaving their assignments. Yes. Farewell, fellows. I have learned much. I have learned much. I have smuggled 13 shamarams out in my carapace. <laughs> Do not look for me. <laughs> I will clean the trail behind me <laughs> with shamaram. <laughs> we talked about Kaladin stuff. Now we need to talk about Shalon stuff. Yes. So Shalon manages to very cleverly sneak into Amaram's uh, location, and we learn a lot about Amaram and what he may be up to. Now, we had hints previously that Amaram wanted to go explore the Shattered Plains Mm -hmm. and had asked for Dalinar's permission to do so. Right. Now we learn a little bit more about why. She breaks into his room. She notices that he has these maps of the Shattered Plains that are much more detailed, and he's... look. I was unclear about whether or not he was it was clear that he was attempting to be a storm warden or if he was simply using the glyphs and the language as a way to take notes. A little unclear about that. I think it's a little of both. I think there were notes about upcoming high storms, but also that the glyphs, and more, even more than he's just using the glyphs, but he's also using them phonetically, which is not something that, is supposed to be done with the glyphs. It's a way of getting around not having a written language and really just making its own, their own written language, which is something they that... They have a written language. I know, it's so crazy. It's so stupid. <laughs> anyway, but him getting around, quote, not having a written language that boys are supposed to use. How am I supposed to write with my penis? Like... <laughs> You can't write when you have a penis. This is absurd. (laughs) Gets in the way. I only have eyes for you, penis. (laughs) Not words on a page. (laughs) I can't be expected to turn a page with this enormous schlong between my legs. (laughs) It doesn't make anyway. Doesn't make any sense. But hey, do a lot of our gender (laughs) expectations make sense? No, they don't. 
So I, I, I've got to have an of glove on apparently when I get ready. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you got to heat a rock, bury it under a fire. When you're short on time, put this of glove on before you do. Absurd. Here, I know you're in a hurry, but walk on these silly little stilts that I'm going to give you underneath <laughs> your heels. Underneath your heels. Here, put it. What I want you to do is attempt to balance all of your body weight on this one square quarter inch of your heel. Good luck, bitches. Climb the corporate ladder with that, sluts. <laughs> and no pockets. Yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll allow you to vote. <laughs> We're taking your pockets. You'll never get anywhere. It's true. Before the Women's Suffrage Act, women had pockets in their that, clothing. That's right. <laughs> you got the right to vote and 74% of our money. <laughs> in exchange, you have to walk on one quarter inch spikes. <laughs> Makes no sense. Anyway. We are off the rails here. So how cool is it? Shalon turning into Amaram. Shamaram. (laughs) She did turn into Shamaram. That's where I was coming from. That's great. (laughs) My favorite part is when you see me again, I will never mention this to you. These are not the droids you were looking for. <laughs> Shamaram was never here. That was pretty funny. Is it live or is it Shamaram? I don't know, but she just would not shut up about Shamaram. Anyway, so she's able to piece together from the quote language that he somehow she doesn't get into the details but just that she somehow reads that he's attempting to bring back or or, or awaken the void bringers now no earthly concept of why he would think that would somehow be a good idea no idea no idea but it's interesting uh to me that the ghost bloods then seem to be it seems to be their goal is to figure out what he's doing and they seem to be putting themselves at odds with Amaram therefore putting themselves in a position where you could say they're trying to prevent the return of the Voidbringers making them look like good guys and yet they also attacked Yasna or at least that's what it appears yeah, that's not very good guy-ish, for sure. It's not very good guy behavior. And I've speculated, and I still feel like Teravangian's tied into the Ghostbloods, but I don't, I don't, I don't know that. Mm-hmm. That's just my speculation. But it's become part of my headcanon mm-hmm. at this point, so I just assume that Teravangian is leading the Ghostbloods. No earthly idea if it's correct or not. But that means that they sent Hilarion to a border skirmish with Amaram, I'm assuming with the intention of killing him? But they couldn't have made it like... Like this, you know, 
it's like trying to show up to assassinate somebody, but you're like, you know, like you're going to be James Bond and show up at the cocktail party, but you show up in a Lamborghini and you're wearing a neon tie with flashing lights on it. Like he showed up in bright gold shard plate as a shard bearer in a place where no shard bearer should ever go. Why? Like, why was Hilarion there? Well, you know, I don't think it's unheard of for shard bearers to show up in a border skirmish like that. And I guess, you know, for him, for Amaram to be killed in battle would be less suspicious than him being killed not in a battle. In camp or something. You know? Yeah, I, I get that. And I think he was just supremely confident that if he showed up in shard plate with a shard blade, nothing could stop him. Right. And short of absolute, I mean, it was clearly deus ex machina, which allowed Kaladin to kill him. On top of incredible skill, I'm not, but it was a combination. Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel like it was more that Kaladin really is that skilled with a spear. That's true. It was only that one little brief intervention that allowed the spear to land in his hand. Right. Right. It was that one little tiny bit, but other, but anybody else would have been killed before they ever got to that point. Well, and it's interesting because in Kaladin's sections in this chapter, he talks with Syl a little bit about that. And he asks her, were you always with me? And mm. she's like, yes and no. You know, um, so we don't quite have that answer. But he, he asks her, like, does that mean I didn't earn any of this? Like, is this all just handed to me because of you? And uh, she tells him, no, you know, you had the innate skill. Our bond is what brings it out, basically. Yeah, and you practice your butt off. Yeah. And that and all that is true. I don't shouldn't take anything away from from Kaladin. OK, so there's that. He's sad enough, Chad. <laughs> Poor mopey bastard. But man, so. Bag on his spearman skills. <laughs> so then Shallan sees Amaram again, but this time she's in the form of the boy saying, uh, Mistress or Bright, Bright Lord. Brightness. Brightness, Shallan Devar wants to draw your shard blade. And he goes all Smeagol staring at the ring. <laughs> he does. Like, he's like, yes, shard blades. And then he, he holds it up like he's holding up Yorick's skull in Hamlet and uh-huh. goes, Alas, poor shard blade. Without you, none of us would. It be was a very Bond villain it, moment. Like, what the hell, man? He'd have been petting a hairless cat. Right. He couldn't have been any more Bond villain there. It was a little bit bizarre. But then she, but then Amaram lies to Shallan, saying that he's the one who killed Hilarion. Yes. Pattern would have been there. Mm-hmm. He's no lying cat. No. No, because he doesn't. He does not call. No, yeah. Well, Amram out on that. And then, so Sh- so Shalon thinks that Amram killed her brother, but really it was Kaladin. Uh-huh. It's gonna be really hard to explain. Yep. Later. Okay. Yep. That's all I got for this chapter. All right. Chapter fifty three is called Perfection. Adolin fights another duel. The crowd is unhappy as Adolin refuses to provide them with the spectacle they're expecting. 
he dismantles his opponent slowly, methodically, and perfectly. Afterwards, one of the best duelists in the camp finally agrees to fight Adolin, as long as he doesn't have to do it alone. Man. Right? So not a super long chapter, but a couple things happen. So Adolin gets into this duel, and one thing that's interesting is that the guy he's dueling is obviously low-key trying to kill him. Oh, yeah. In the match. You know, he's going for those... He's going for the chinks in his armor. He's going for his faceplate. He's going for the few places that could actually do him harm versus just trying to win. He, does, it's, he doesn't succeed, obviously. And Adolin kind of takes him apart, but without it actually damaging the armor that much, he just d- makes these like teeny little cracks that you can barely see and just lets everything kind of, all the stormlight kind of leaks out. And then finally when it runs out, he just pushes him over. Yeah pretty badass so it's like a a, it's like a boring match to watch though so everyone's all ticked off yeah but it's but it's interesting and i think adolin is wise in how he's doing it because he's essentially now he wants people to recognize yeah what he's doing and he's you know he's had these fights in these he's showing multiple different ways it's like i can take you apart any way you want me to how you want me to do it Mm-hmm. You know, and this is the most masterful because yeah. like he's fighting against, as you said, somebody who's attempting to kill him and is not, I mean, he's not a great duelist, but he's not a, he's not a chump either. And he's essentially running a clinic mm-hmm. on how to slap this guy around. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, so that part was pretty interesting, but now we're going to fight two shard bears. Two? What do you think about that? That's how to do a lethe on hard mode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's ballsy, but I'm... So he's going to fight two. He's clearly going to win. It'll be great. Mm-hmm. I'll enjoy reading it. But what's more interesting to me is all the stuff that happens with Shallan. Right. Because she shows up and she says, oh, you were brilliant. By the way, I was reading something in your uncle's biography, and I need you to win a duel in a spectacular fashion, mm-hmm. which is what prompts him to make this right. audacious gamble. Right. And he's wagered all the shards that he's won against it. So it's it's so it's such an incredibly audacious thing, right? But then at the end, she says, somehow related to what this thing is that she learned, what do you know about High Prince Yenev? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, he knows that his dad killed him because Dalinar says that when they were trying to get the kingdom together, one of the things he did was he dueled Yenev, and in the duel, he deliberately killed him mm-hmm. as a part of the duel. Mm-hmm. Exactly what this guy was just trying to do to Adolin. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but I just can't put two and two together as to what Dalinar's killing Yenev would have to do with a spectacular duel and what the hell Shallan thinks that's going to do. The only mm-hmm. thing I can think of is that it rem- it will remind 
potentially remind the high princes that Dalinar will fucking kill you if you disagree with him. Like, mm-hmm. But that's that's it. Like that's all. Like, and Dalinar has you know already played that card. You know he did it with Aladar. Remember Yenev? Yeah. I'll fucking kill you if you disobey me. Like, so he's already played that card. So I just don't. I don't get what is supposed to happen there. Well, you get to read about it tonight. I mean, clearly, clearly, we'll find out what happens. But good stuff. Do we have some listener questions? Oh, we have the listener questions. Yes. All right. Susan King asks, do you think Shallan's brother was killed by Amaram or did somebody else have his shard blade and he's out there wandering the Cosmere? So we sort of talked about it in the discussion, but Mm -hmm. Shallan's brother, Hilarion, was killed by Kaladin. Yeah. That's who he got the shard blade from that Amaram stole. Right. Daryl Mansell says, what would you name your spread? Shamaram. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else you could name it now. <laughs> right? I would name mine Early Jewel. Oh, nice. That's mine. Nice. You have 15 seconds to come up with your best why did the shin of our chicken cross the road joke? And if it's not amusing, you will be killed. What do you do? What do you do? So much pressure, Eric Allgaier. I turned to my crack team of joke writers. The shin of our chicken crossed the road because his hands were all dirty from eating chicken wings, and that's on the other side of the road was where the shamaram was for him to wipe his mouth and face. (laughs) I'm sorry, you're dead. I'm sorry, I, I just don't have any chicken cross the road jokes. No, I really don't either. I get I mean it's it's not gonna work. <laughs> so Eliza DeHaan says, I hope I pronounced your name right, by the way. If I didn't, please let me know. Uh says, on a scale of one to ten, how excited are you for Adolin's future duel? And do you think Kaladin has finally escaped depression? I would say eight and a half. Okay. And no. Same. Yeah. No, I think we're I think we're going to get real mopey here in the future cuz we're going into the weepings. Yes. Yeah, I don't I don't think he has it all. Susan King also asks is Kaladin going to forge a shard blade? Good question. I mean, it seems like that's where it's going. It does seem that way. She also asks has Kaladin ever you know, you know how when you take your finger and make a circle, He's, he is making an obscene gesture. And then you take ladies your and gentlemen, other finger and you put it in and out of that circle. <laughs> has Shalon ever done that before? Kaladin. I'm sorry, Kaladin never. Well, Shalon definitely hasn't. Has Kaladin ever done that before? Not on camera, as far as we've read. That's good. That's good. No, I don't think. I don't think so. I don't. Theo Graham Brown says, does Amaram have a spren or does he just talk dirty to swords? <laughs> <laughs> He's a sword man. He also says, Shallan's drawing stuff was a little unclear to me here. She seemed to imply the image had to be drawn fresh, but the portrait of the maid had been done beforehand. 
It's a good point. I, I think maybe she did it just beforehand. Well, that's, I mean, she clearly is like running around sketching things on the fly. That's right. how she managed to imitate Amaram, was she stood in the corner of the room and sketched him real quick. For right. Me. I mean, she's like clearly a speed artist. Right. I mean, seems a little impractical, but that's okay. I, I agree, and I think it's meant to be because I think there needs to be some kind of limit on her powers at this point. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think for her to jump, and I think I said this last week too, for her to jump from being like meek little country girl to, um, you know, a limitless power to become anyone at all. Yeah, she right now she's the most powerful person we know of in Roshar. Yeah, absolutely. From a magical standpoint. And, and she's not even using 50% of her abilities. Yeah. You know, she's, she's not even doing soul casting at all. She's half as powerful as Arya Stark. <laughs> exactly. In in the show, not not the books. I mean, to be fair, Shalon doesn't have to physically cut the face off of people. No. <laughs> before she becomes. Thank them. goodness. <laughs> but can she can she cause her origin organs to dodge blades? Uh, no, she definitely cannot do that. Well, there you go. So, go ahead. So, Theo Graham Brown also says, "Admit it, you've got to liking old shitplate Adolin now. So you're scared he's about to die, like I am." No, I'm not scared he's going to die. No, but you've gotten to like him a little bit now. No, no. A little bit. I mean, I, I have begrudging respect for him. <laughs> for old shit can. <laughs> Good old shit can. Brian McClure says, would you rather have light weaving surges or wind runner surges? So that's, Similar to the old, would you rather be invisible or would you rather fly? Mm-hmm. Except now it's, would you rather be an illusionist or would you rather be able to fly? So I could either have like a permanent Snapchat filter, but in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I could stick my kids to the wall. You'd never have to use contact hooks again. I mean, God, it's tough. That's a tough one. Hmm. I mean, before I remember that you could just stick things wherever you wanted to, I, it was clearly light weaving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they will run out of they will run out of stormlight eventually, so you can't just like hang your pictures on the wall indefinitely. I got to go light weaving. You know, I am so uncomfortable with deception. I'm such a nervous liar, and I feel like to be good at light weaving, you have to be okay with lying about stuff. I think I'd have to go Windrunner. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. You do have to go Windrunner. <laughs> Brian McClure also says, in Kingkiller Chronicles, what do you think the Doors of Stone refers to? Yeah, I mean, I think that is the door behind which the baddest mother shaper of them all is trapped. I always thought it was a euphemism for Fela's vagina. For Fela? Yeah. Not Denna? No, you can't get in there. <laughs> That's true. You ain't getting in there. Unless you're Simmon. Hey. <laughs> no, I'm I'm with you. It's the it's the doors that hold the baddest mother shaper of them all. 
Okay. Uh, Adolin and Dalinar, full shard plate and blade versus Kaladin with unlimited stormlight. Who wins? I think Kaladin. I mean, he could fly. He can literally fly. There's yeah. no way he doesn't win. I think Kaladin, yeah. If you were going to ship one Warbreaker character with one Stormlight character, who would they be? Adolin and Vivenna. Yeah. Or Denth and Tin. Oh, Denth and Tin. I would love that. Yeah. Both and Wit get trapped in an elevator. What happens? Well... I mean, I say death by snappy dialogue, but. <laughs> I mean, Quoth is the better musician, but his loot playing isn't going to, like, you know, create illusions in and of themselves. So, I don't know. It's tough. It's tough to say. What is your favorite Shinovar chicken? Uh, my favorite Shinovar chicken is uh, Shinovar chicken cheesesteak. That's yummy. I'm in a big chicken cheesesteak phase. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm longing for the green fields of Shinovar. <laughs> why does Amaram want to know how to bring back the Voidbringers? Man, I do not know. Right, the, that makes zero sense. The only thing I can think is that he thinks he has a way of controlling them. And thinks that he can, he, you know, thinks he can be the one to uh, sort of control all the stuff in Pandora's box. And doesn't think it'll get away from him. Mm-hmm. And thinks it'll give him the ability to control and take over Alethkar and Roshar. So, like, that's the only thing I can think. Is this mm-hmm. just a, I'm going to take over the world. Mm-hmm. But in the process, I'm going to... Awaken this dragon that I'll never be able to control who will probably eat me. So um, these are all from Brian McClure, too. How does Amram know about the connection between the Parshendi and the Voidbringers? Do you think he found out before or after he betrayed Kaladin? I tend to think. I mean, I know that this is not the answer, but I tend to think he picked up on the connection between the Parshendi and the Voidbringers. Because he's not a fucking idiot. Right. Like, you're a Thiru, Shattered Plains, the Parshendi are coming from there. Like, I just tend, like, there's not that many pieces on the chessboard. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think will be Shalon's reaction when she finds out who really killed her brother? I think it's going to be really tough. For mm-hmm. her, because it's going to be after she and Dalinar have made up and made friends and made out. You mean Kaladin? Her and Kaladin, yeah. yeah. Okay. They're going to be making out, and she's going to be like, oh, he's going to be like, I've never felt this good since that day I killed that Shardbearer. <laughs> Shardbearer. No, I mean, I suspect that what will happen is that Shalon will somehow be in a position to confront Amaram, and then... Kaladin's going to be like, oh, that's not mm-hmm. how that happened. Or before she gets to confront Amaram, Kaladin's going to confront Amaram. And that's how Shalon's going to find out. And then mm-hmm. there's going to be all kinds of what, but you, and then and then everyone's going to be standing in a room 
pointing a gun at another person. If you kill him, I'll kill him, and you kill him, and I'll, but you're my twin brother. And then the General Hospital theme will play, <laughs> and that's how I think it's going to go. Ian James Crone says, What quote from a speculative fiction novel would you want on your grave? So there's a quote in from Lord of the Rings. It's actually used a couple of times throughout the book, but in the movie it's used um, in a conversation between Galinar and in a conversation between Gandalf and Pippin when he's describing what happens after oh, death. Oh yeah. And uh, and he tells him that um, that it's like a, a gray curtain is parted and white shores and beyond, a far green country under a swift sunrise. I want an etching of Paul Atreides' hand inside the box going, <laughs> The pain! <laughs> that's what I, That's what I want my <laughs> grace to say. And everyone's going to be like, should we get him? Should we dig him out of the box? Like... <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Jake Sapor says, So I just read Arcanum Unbounded, and there's a short story on another planet with some really sweet birds. I'm wondering if there's a connection to the Stormlight Chickens. Stormlight Chicken. Get down. <laughs> Get down, Stormlight Chicken. Oh, man. So many places you can go with that if I wasn't so tired. I really has, are. Has anybody read, else read that and thought about this? Maybe there's no connection. No, Jake, you were not too late. He says on there, oh, no, I'm too late. Nope. Just got it in under the wire. I clearly haven't read Arcanum Unbounded. Have you read that one yet? Yes, I have. So you're familiar with his with his Stormlight Chicken? Get down, get down, Stormlight Chicken. You're familiar with the story he's talking about? I am familiar with that book. It has several excellent stories. Um, It's an interesting thought. I never thought about a connection there. It is possible. We shall explore. I do not want to spoil anything, though, Mm. for you. You don't want to leave the chicken out on the counter overnight? No, I don't. So it can get spoiled? All right, man. That's all I got. I do have a couple of things I want to say before we get to our predictions, however. Do it. Okay. So by the time this podcast comes out and you hear it, we will have already had our best month ever from a download perspective. Heck yeah. Which That's is gonna, awesome. Yeah, which is interesting because we're not even two-thirds of the way through the month. So we're going to end up having our best month ever. I mean, we could basically stop now and have our best month ever. So thank you to everybody because I can tell you it's not anything different that we're doing. So uh, thanks to everybody who's coming on board. Thanks to everybody new who's listening. Thanks to the people who are talking about us and sharing us, uh, sharing that information. We want to just tell you all that we appreciate you for that. I also want to let everybody know we will be at Balticon 53. Yes, we will. The details about exactly what we'll be doing at Balticon 53 still yet to be completely ironed out. When we know more, we'll let you know more. We'll let you know more. But we will definitely be at Balticon 53. Balticon happens in the Baltimore Inner Harbor at the Renaissance Hotel downtown from May 24th through May 27th. We will be there the 25th and the 26th. So that's Saturday and Sunday. 
So if you if you want to come to the east coast of the United States for Memorial Day weekend, do it. Do it. Can do hang it. out with the old Duke and Duchess. I also want to say we have two new reviews. Now, I've kind of stopped reading a lot of the reviews because I feel like it's a little bit too self-congratulatory. Uh, but a couple of things are, are interesting about these, so I'm, I'm going to read them. Uh, Zach Tartell says, I like the chemistry between the hosts. The recap is thoughtful, and even a little bit of the pre- and post-book discussion is engaging. Bummed I didn't find this tier two years ago to participate live, but grateful for the good work. So we thank you for that. that that's just a couple of days ago. And uh, Zizix42, that's Z-Y-Z-Z-Y-X 42, just left this review today. Most book podcasts I've heard, granted I've not heard many, were more like a book review podcast. This one is anything but. I love the in-depth dive into the Easter eggs and the connections that I had missed. I listened to audiobooks while driving and can't do a word search to find connections. A friend invited me to your Facebook group. And since I'd already read all the books you've covered, I've been binging and enjoying the hell out of it. Is there any way to donate? So we have talked multiple times, you and I, about whether or not we would ever do something like that. And we've not come to any definitive decisions. But we have talked about finally getting together some merch. We've not made any decisions about it, but we've talked about it. So, Talking takes so little energy. <laughs> and all of those other things take so much energy. They really do, don't they? So I, I th we've had a couple of people comment on that recently. It's not something I think that we ever really thought people would really have that much interest in. And now we're beginning to question whether or not that's the case. But, yeah. Yeah. No, seriously, we, we are excited about this, this project and we are working on getting um, some merch merchandise available. So stay tuned. Developments will happen. So right now, no, there's no place to donate, but hang tight. And instead of just giving us money, you can give value for your money. All right, so now I do want to talk about my couple of predictions. I only have a couple this uh, episode, uh, but I will go through them. Number one, Dalinar will attempt to forge some sort of non-evil shard blade. All right, Dalinar he, or Kaladin? Kaladin. I, Kaladin. I meant Kaladin. I wrote Dalinar. He's going to take shamaram sheets and fold them on top of each other and compress them into a super absorbent, absorbent blade of destruction. <laughs> okay. So no, Kaladin, I, I think, I don't think that was for nothing. He's going to attempt to forge some sort of soul weapon. I don't know. Shallan will attempt to use some sort of light weaving skills during Adolin's duel. I don't know to what end. So somehow during this duel, she's going to end up using her powers because she's talking about a gift and doing something spectacular. I'm like, is she trying to like throw an extra layer of illusion on top of what he's already going to do? 
I'm struggling to figure out what else it could be. Mm-hmm. It could also be that he's going to get himself in a real bad situation and need a hand, and she might be able to do something to stop him from dying. Mm-hmm. So, But I expect that somehow light weaving will play into it. My last one is your Thiru itself is not at the center of the Shattered Plains. The center of the Shattered Plains is a gate. Mm. All right. Those are my predictions. I like them. Wow. Yeah. That was episode 87. Yes, it was. It was chock full of episodiness. <laughs> so many words. It's so late. I do not feel like my brain is working well. <laughs> my brain is filled with bubblegum. Well, rather, a nine-year-old did jump right on your head right before all of this went down, so. Uh, yeah. Your noggin might have gotten a little scrambled. I feel like I got hit in the uh, head with a shard hammer, except that shard hammer was a nine-year-old. So... That is all that I have. Do you have anything? I don't. Where can they find us? They can find us on the Duke and Duchess Podcast.com. That's our website. On our Twitter at the D&D Podcast. They can find us on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. And they can find us on our Facebook group page at Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the D&D group. You can also find us on Goodreads, on Reddit, on Instagram, all the different social media stuff that's out there, the big ones anyway, uh, you can reach out to us and you can have a conversation with us. That's uh, one of the most fun parts about all this. We try to be as accessible as we can be, and that's really what is one of the the, the best parts of this podcast is that we get to have a great community uh, with really good folks and meet some really cool people. And we look forward to meeting more really cool people at Balticon in May. Next week, we will be reading chapters 54 through 58 through the end of part three. Thank you, everyone, and good night. Good night. Good night.